Hello, Ollie here. Uh, just before we get into the main show, I just want to mention that the Film Junk podcast, which is my personal favourite podcast, um, and I think it might be the longest running podcast now. But anyway, that's besides the point. Every other month, they do a premium podcast, which for a minimum contribution of a dollar, you get to download it and keep it. Uh, this month, they're focused on the works of Spike Lee, and uh, all the proceeds for the first month go towards Black Lives Matter. So whatever you can contribute, uh, you know, you can do anything from one dollar all the way up to whatever you want. Um, yeah, so it goes to a great cause. Please check out their website or their band camp for more details about where your money will be going. So that's uh, the Film Junk Podcast. Cheers. Please note. For maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Escaping our life that's lived in a coal mine to go on the run and undertake the worst bank robbery of all time. This week, it's an emotional ride in Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we are on an adventure to watch a century of cinema decade by decade, year by year. And I am one half of your hosts, Liam. And he over there is... Oliver Jones. And uh, welcome I don't know I said it like that. to the show. Oliver Jones. <laughs> Oliver Jones. Welcome to the show. And it's a new mini series, Oliver Jones. It's a new it's a new decade. It's a new decade. It's a new day, yes it is. And um we're gonna break into the nineteen seventies now. But first, how are you, Mr. Ollie? I'm good. I'm alright, thanks. Uh, I've been fairly busy the last few days. I uh I've uh, I hosted a um like an online uh Q&A session with my friend's band. They were oh. called Blackfish back in the the aughts. In the aughts. And they 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 had a quite a, I I say famous, but they had like a quite a notorious breakup like all of a sudden in like 2010. And so like the they've got quite a following and like they were People have wanted them to do like a reunion show for years or get back together, and um, like they weren't like they weren't friends for a long time. Three of them were, but the one of them, the the main, the singer guitarist, he kind of went his own way and kind of did his own thing for a long time. Sure. And recently, they've kind of like they've become friends again, and it's quite nice. And while they're not getting back together, they decided to do a Q and A. And uh, I was for some reason chosen to be the moderator. Hey. And uh, so basically people emailed in questions or on the live stream okay. asking questions. So I was just picking and choosing questions and kind of asking them the questions and they were giving me the answers. So yeah, that was good fun. <laughs> was it quite busy? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It was It was quite busy. Yeah, we had at one point, most we had was 88 views, viewers at one time. But since then, it's had a couple of thousand views yeah. on Facebook since then. But you asked me earlier, Mike, because behind me, there's a poster on the floor. There is a poster on the floor, yeah. And so, as you know, I have lots of toys yep. and kind of nerdy paraphernalia. So I didn't want to be on this live stream looking like... <laughs> a big old nerd. ...uncool. So I just had it against a grey wall. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I so if I turn my camera to the left, I'm a grown-up. If I turn my camera to the right... <laughs> It's pretty much it. And then um, uh, the other thing was, so just not to get into what we've watched or anything this week, but I've only watched one film and I've watched it three times. Okay. And that's uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America. Oh, yeah, sure. And the reason for that is I have another podcast, which is 
It's it's a bit more rambly than this. It's just kind of me and my friend Tom just talking about nerdy stuff. Uh, not that me and you don't talk about I was going to say, stuff. yeah. It sounds like the same podcast. <laughs> but um, that started a while ago, and originally it was just going to be about animation, and it's called Tom and Ollie's Big Kids Club. It was going to be called Tom and Ollie's Cartoon Club until I realised... I don't remember much about cartoons I watched as a kid and it meant that I've got to watch a lot of cartoons and I thought I can't be bothered to do that so we just changed it to Big Kids Club and we just talk about everything. Um, but back, so what I did was I emailed loads of animators back then and surprise, surprise, I got no replies whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Normal. Two years later, uh, somewhat the, the co-director of the Beavis and Butthead film called Yvette Kaplan, yeah. she emailed me back because she was clearing out her email inbox because you know, COVID, she's got a lot of time on her hands. So she just thought, I'll just clear out my inbox. She's one of those people that she on f- her phone just has 600 unread emails, which probably me mad. Actually, you're and one she- of those people too. So I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not. No, Tell man. I'm going to show you my phone. <laughs> Let's have a look. Oh, hang on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> see. <laughs> You've got so many notifications on that screen. Every single folder's got a notification <laughs> on it. <laughs> Anyway, I'm a liar. But uh, um, she replied, going, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I never saw this email. Um, if your podcast is still going, I'd love, I'd love to uh, awesome. be on it." And um, we were kind of a bit off and on with the podcast, but again, due to COVID, we hadn't, we didn't have much going on. So because we started this podcast, I said to Tom, "Should we kind of kick that into gear again?" Yeah, because it was originally uh, just a video podcast, but you've put it onto audio now as well. Like. Yeah, it was to be honest, it kind of ended up it started off being more as a show and tell, look at my shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. That was because yeah, yeah. we, yeah. we didn't know what we were doing really. We were just like, Hey Tom, this toilet's cool, doesn't it? And he's like, Yeah, that's it's really cool. Here's my toy, what do you think? Is it really well, cool? Well I liked like, yeah, what I like yeah, watching Tom. you guys talk about your toys. Mm. <laughs> we don't always talk about toys. Not but, um, toys. <laughs> we'll have to get you on soon anyway. Uh, there's there's one I want to get you on soon for anyway, and I'll explain to you after the show. Uh, um, that's called a tease. Like being on this one, it is a tease. Um, so yeah, she emailed back saying, "Oh, I'd love to be on it uh, if you're still going." So I emailed back going, "Yes, please be on our show." And so we arranged a date. Me and Tom were sitting down, ready to record, and she didn't turn up. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so I, I kept messaging her. And there's several, bearing in mind, she lives in LA, so there's quite a big time does, difference, yeah. you know, like, what, nine hours? Is it no, nine hours? I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to remember. I'm always crap yeah. with time differences. It's five hours on the yeah, west. Yeah, it's five hours on the east coast. So. And it's nine or eight or something on yeah. the Between eight and nine, whatever. And, it's um, not mountain time. Anyway. She just emailed back. She's going, oh, I went to walk my dog and I forgot. <laughs> so could we do it another day? So we rescheduled and we had an interview with her and it was it was lovely. And we talked for nearly two hours. Yeah. And she gave us lots of kind of... she Like, it came across like... Because she's a she's a bit of an... I don't, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. A bit of an older lady. Not like old, old, but you know. And um, You're allowed to say someone's just, older than you. <laughs> I know, it's true. She's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it kind of gave us some validation. It kind of made her feel good about herself. And I think, cool, like maybe she hasn't worked in the industry for a, a while like she used to. And I think it yeah, kind maybe. of, you know, people just talking to her, like kind of almost worshiping her. Like, and you, you wrote, you, you directed did this film, a, yeah, 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 a number one box office film in America yeah. that was made on a budget of twelve million and made nearly eighty million dollars. Yeah, That's incredible, which is incredible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that film's is an absolute success. I love that film. Like it's 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 such a good trans uh, translation of like a that kind of small cartoon to a feature that doesn't happen well, and they did it like well, like you know those episodes are like five to six yeah, minutes yeah. long each, yeah. and to blow that up to an eighty minute film exactly, th- and and it to like the whole thing hold up. I think it's done a lot better than say like the Simpsons. That so movie I was thinking, is I was thinking not very that good. Simpsons movie or like the I don't know the Rugrats film and stuff like that. There's not that yeah, many that make I mean, that transition. I like the South Park film a lot, but I think the Beavis oh, and the Bird was film better, really personally. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like it, better. but I think Beavis and Bird did, was better. But um, but yeah, so that was lovely. So if, a bit of plug if anyone wants to check it out. Um, yeah, absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone's listening, check out, um, check out the interview. Though. But we've got a few more um, uh, animators lined up to talk to, which is one of the things I want to talk to you about if you want to pop on. But, um, okay. I'll, again, I'll talk to you about that later on. But um, yeah, yeah, how are you doing anyway? I'm good. I'm good. Not, not much to report. Um, today in the today in the the world is we're currently tearing down statues of racists and slavers, um, <laughs> and that kind of falls into my kind of world a little bit. So I've been a bit busy, just kind of, you know, talking about it, replying to people on social medias and stuff like that writing little papers and things like that about that kind of element. People I love that meme you shared with me and it was of a, a woman going, it's a picture of the Angel of the North going, please do not tear it down. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think you yeah, got Angel it. Angel of the North started uh, trending last night because apparently some people got in their heads that people were coming for it. No one's coming for the Angel of the North. It's fine. <laughs> like, it's, it wasn't a That slaver. old racist. Yeah, like the Angel of the North didn't enslave anybody. It's It's okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've, so I've been kind of busy talking about that because when when these kind of stuff fall into what you know history and and archaeology and stuff like that, I, always, I try to kind of put my oar in a little bit and try to kind of put a sensible um, view out there, or I just go and yell at people to get to get kind of you know <laughs> to get a bit of <laughs> tension out or something. But so I've been kind of busy the last few days, all, all keeping up in, in touch with that, and and uh, just to say that. Um, tearing down a statue of a slave is not erasing history it is making history and that's that's yeah exactly <laughs> you know like yeah it's it's, it's not, so did you see you know the uh the first one that is tore down in bristol yeah of course someone changed the someone changed the the google maps location yeah. of where the statue is now and it's in the <laughs> it's in the, in the river or whatever yeah. it made me laugh so much that was great um and apart from that like i think like um uh weirdly enough i think right now is the first time since we've started this podcast since like the first episode that we can talk like movie news because things actually happening again like and things are actually ramping up again (laughs) exactly yeah that's what i was gonna ask you about like so the basically the first trailer for the newest film coming out has come out since like the last four months and it's bill and ted face the music so like yeah, and it's nuts. It's out in like two months. Two months, apparently. I mean, Tenants, that meant to be I've, out before. I've got... Don't forget, like, Tenants is scheduled before. I've got a little fact for you, though. So, hang on. So, Bill and Ted comes out on the 8th... Well, the 21st of the 8th, 2020. Okay. If you add that up, if you add the 8, the 21, the 20, and the 20, it equals 69. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> No, sixty nine. Oh, never. I, I, yeah, I, I get it. And You're the trailer happy. came out on the the. If you go by American dates, the sixth of the ninth. 
It's like it was planned. <laughs> I, I'm going to assume that was planned. I'm just going to assume it was planned. Otherwise, do you reckon it's, it's going to make it to the cinema though? I do. I think it's going to get a cinema release. Cinemas are opening in like a week in LA, what well, LA, California, at 25% capacity. Um, and I just think that's going to keep spreading because God knows what they're like talking the about. Like the disease. Put... Well, yeah, like the disease. But they're going to, because um, I don't know, Oscars have just announced they're pushing back the ceremony date. Like they're still going to have oh, one, really? but they're pushing it back from the 28th of February, which is kind of weird. Is Bill and Ted going to get Best Picture, Best Actor? I think First Cow is going to win everything. That's my nomination. Go watch First <laughs> Cow when you get to see it. Um, but like, I don't know. Okay. Like um, I don't know. Who knows? Like it's going to be Tenant, Bill and Ted, and like that's it. Apparently, as as Sonic. Sonic. Um, but also movie news. This Friday, King of well, tomorrow, King of Staten Island comes out. J- new Jadafso J- J- film that comes gets released on yeah, streaming I've, tomorrow. Like, I've read a few reviews on that, and like I'm, I'll always watch a film to make my own judgment. But it sounds like it's got a lot of the same problems that a lot of Judd Apatow films have. And don't get me wrong, I love his films. But he needs someone who can, like, he needs to cut his lovelies a lot of the time. Like he, Yeah, sure. He'll, sure. He's just, like, yeah. he'll He's have just a punchline in a... Because in a, he has a lot of improvised stuff in his films. And so, but he doesn't know what punchline to end his scene on. So he just goes, <laughs> I'll just keep all the punchlines. So yeah, it just sure. kind of keeps going. He like... No, 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 no. It's a, this is the first Judapta film I've been interested in in a long time, really. This is the first one that I've yeah. kind of seen and gone. That looks like that looks kind of interesting. That looks kind of kind of fun. Like so, I'm I'm up for it. And it's nice to just have new films coming out by actual filmmakers. You know, like I'm kind of excited true, that something's coming out. So I'm looking forward to watching it as soon as I can. Really. The last Judd Apatow film I really enjoyed, well, I wouldn't say I really enjoyed, but I, I liked quite a bit was Funny People, and that's because I... I think Funny People's good, yeah. I genuinely like Adam Sandler. Like, he does a lot of shit. Lot I of want shit. to like Adam but Sandler he, more than I like him. Look, that's my whole thing about Adam Sandler. But when he's good, he is good. Yeah, he Do is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when he's good, he's absolutely, he's absolutely just spot on. But, ugh, most of the time. But going back to Bill and Ted, what did you think of... I, Took me a while to watch the trailer in anything but pixelated because I haven't had internet in like three <laughs> weeks. But um, when I finally watched it, it was um, I. It's a weird cut trailer because it's it's. I think trailers nowadays are often weirdly cut. It's very much just like a trailer that seems to be designed like, to run on like streaming services. If you if that's just makes cut sense. from like two scenes by the looks of yeah them, and that's yeah it. so like it feels like a kind of more like a TV spot to prison. me than a trailer. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So it, it feels like to me something that runs before something on a website or something that runs before like a video uh, or like a, yeah, a film yeah. that you're streaming, um, which I think means it had a bit of a weird flow. But I'm really excited by it, and actually, I felt a little emotional seeing like those characters back on screen because they mean a lot to me. So. Um, I think it kind of got me in a weird way, actually. So I'm I'm excited. It might be. It's the funny thing about Bill and Ted, and I'll say this in a way that I wish I had better words. The, the like both Bill and Ted's are not like fantastic films. They're kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they're just they're very great films in a very standard way. If I'm trying to make sense of that. Like, I love them and I haven't got any problem with them, but they're not like some epic or something. But in my head, they are. And 
No, I, I think... get well because they came at a time when we were so like we were so young. Sure. It's like when I when I saw Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey for the first time at the cinema. I remember leaving the cinema and said, I'm not going to see a film again because I'll forget how amazing this film yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt the same about that's how, That was like my mindset. Yeah. For me, like a ending a film and like a concert and stuff like that and a kiss song, I was like, oh my God, that's the best thing you ever do with a film. Like, But so I get it how Apparently, they're just that... very standard films. So this might be a very standard film is what I'm saying. But I think it looks really good. I think, I think it looks really exciting. I'm just trying not to pin too much onto it because I think I can... I think yeah it, it's in trouble of being a film that will be over inflated because it's got so much nostalgia and love for it and i yeah, think that's 100%. that's the problem of this film it might get sunk by its kind of nostalgia or at least it's well, ghostbusters will probably have the same kind of thing that's coming next year yeah but at um, least ghostbusters was ship say- was sunk at some point like by kind of like <laughs> that's true <laughs> but bill and ted never was by paul so. feig yeah, yeah exactly i wonder if there's a google docs uh where where you can actually find the Ghostbusters 16 to 2016 if that's floating in a harbour somewhere where it's sunk <laughs> bad joke um... it took me so long <laughs> um, yeah, me, like I was having a chat with someone about Bill and Ted and they were like oh the way that Keanu Reeves says uh, be excellent to each other or whatever he says or is it party on dudes he sounds so old and I was like that's the joke that's the whole point of this film <laughs> Yeah, I think you've just totally missed what it's all about, really. I like Keanu in his, or Ted in his button down. I like the look. Yeah, yeah. I'm on board. I have a feeling they're... I think in the trailer, it kind of shows that they kind of become like a function band. So like... Yeah. Like how we'll talk, I was talking about Blackfish. Three of those members became a band called Anu and I. They're still together. But they also do weddings and they played my wedding. So they always kind of do that thing that kind of rock bands like no we only play original music our music until they realize oh well we need to make money so they kind of form a function <laughs> band so they've kind sure. of got this like so it felt it, like they're kind of doing that yeah yeah i've got a feeling ted might be kind of like he's got a really boring job like he took like reckon? a job yeah i reckon like an accountant job or something like that or something that's really not rock and roll bill's the one's trying to like and bill the, the one who's the never lost the or dream something. or something yeah that's what i'm kind of betting on a little bit or a bit like Anvil, you know, the, the, the documentary. Yes, that's a, a great documentary. Um, do you think, like, it looks like they go to hell because when they see the Grim Reaper, there's, like, all fire around them, behind them and stuff like oh, that. Oh, I didn't so notice I that. Yeah. But, like, uh, the original... William, uh, William oh, Sand- the original? Sadler, Sadler. Oh, no, it was the bogus journey that went to hell, didn't they? Yeah, of course they did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, William Sadler's uh, back, yeah. Apparently, you know the Kiss song at the end of Bogus Journey? That's not mm-hmm. an original Kiss song. It's a cover, which I didn't know. I that. didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. And when I saw Kiss, I was like, I can't wait for them to play it. I can't wait for them to play it. I can't wait for them to play it. And then the concert ends, and then they just play it over the speakers as everyone's leaving. I was like, you. <laughs> That's so shit. <laughs> but when I Mastodon am- are writing a song for this film. So yeah. I'm kind of hoping Mastodon write the song that saves the world. I'm hoping. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. It, actually, the problem is the problem is they can't show you the song that saves the world. They can't do that on screen. They just Do you not think? No, because it well, it will it I don't know. There's so much pressure on that not being a shit song or not being a bit too cheesy or something like Well, I always thought for years that the song they sang at the end of Bogus Journey was the song. 
well of course it was but then when you come to write a sequel you might as well just ignore that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like, that one it's another yeah. one what was but, um, the trailer you watched then you were going to talk no, about? No, no, i got a story. So, shush. Um, oh, shush. When I, the first time I ever worked, well, how do I word this? I can't remember what it was. I was basically running an archaeological training dig up in Cumbria. And um, I had just passed my driving test, or not long before I passed my driving test. So I, and I had to drive the um, tool van, like a massive like twin cab tool van full of all the kind of, you know, the shovels and mattocks and wheelbarrows and everything else that we carry around with us and i had to drive that from birmingham to cumbria where we were working and um i got in the car and the radio was broken on this van and all the van had was a cassette player that's the only thing it had in it so halfway up to cumbria we had to stop for fuel i am missing out parts of this story where i crashed into the gas station that can be ignored (laughs) (laughs) like um uh, we and whilst we were getting lunch, we went around the charity shops in this. I can't, I can't remember the city plane, but whatever the town name or whatever. We went around charity shops to pick up cassettes for the vid, for the um for the tall van, and we picked up three cassettes, if I remember right. One was a Kate Bush cassette. One was the Tetris oh. single that was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and the Tetris single. Yeah, there was like a what dance. Was yeah, there was a dance song based on that that got released in the nineties. I didn't even know. And the that third was one thing. was "God God Gave Rock and Roll" by Kiss from the Bill and Ted Bogus Journey soundtrack. So just for like, the single, not the soundtrack. Just the single. Just it had like single. three mixes on it or something, you know, like the radio edit and the rock edit or something. So for like yeah, the instrumental. Three weeks, we drove around Cumbria in this massive van with just those three songs and those three cassettes on a loop. So whenever I hear God gave rock and roll now, I just think about me bouncing over the hills of Cumbria in this massive van that I can barely control and kind of scraping into dry stone walls and stuff. Amazing. And that's why I like that I love song. it though when songs just remind you of a certain time or period. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'll never forget that. Yeah, but one more trailer. Uh, this isn't exciting. It's called 7500, I think, or something. Have you okay. seen this? It's the new no. Joseph Gordon-Levitt trailer, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a pilot and terrorists take over okay. and he's stuck in the cockpit and he can't do anything about it. He can't leave the cockpit and all the people are dying in the kind of plane and he's there going, oh no. And it's it's releasing on Amazon in like a month, I think, like that. I think it's like a month's okay. time or something. And uh, my favourite thing about it is another one, I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I kind of really do. But two, it's another one of the Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a very interesting accent throughout this film, like you oh, know, like no. you know, like the walkie was French, which Walk, the most yeah. amazing French <laughs> yeah. accent ever. And in this, he's German, and it took me the whole. Oh, I've watched the trailer like twice to go. He's doing German. Why is he German? Why does he have to be German in this? Why can't he just be American? Well, it's so like I'm in a, um, Dark, I'm looking forward Dark Knight to Rises, he's, Boston, he's doing like a thick Boston accent. Yeah, and you're like, why are you is, doing a yeah. Boston accent? Like Snowden, he does whatever but, um, Edward Snowden's accent is. He does it, oh, it, God, it's, so, yes. it's so distracting. He hasn't he hasn't done anything in a while, if I were... No, Has he, he hasn't it? at all. He did, did he do I think he's been just Don doing John? his hit record stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm a little bit obsessed with, because every day Joseph Gordon-Levitt just tweets out like, What's the name of this dragon? Or like, have you got a song? <laughs> Add it here. I I have been tempted to take part in that hit record stuff, but um, I have not yet taken part. You That's don't the have end the of my passion. story. 
That's the end of that. What did you think of the uh, Tenant trailer? Did I watch it? I haven't watched it. Oh my god! Have you not watched it? Oh man! I watched the teaser ages ago, but haven't watched the trailer. I mean, it looks like every other Nolan film, like Men in Three Piece Suits. But I'm, I'm down for it. Oh, I'm down for it. I'm I'm looking forward to it. it, I just like how it's probably. It's like we said. It's going to start how it ends. It's like it's. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the the rumors is it's a palindrome, isn't it? Yeah. Well, because people have got this ability where they it's a. I know it looked a bit like wanted. You know how they can like curve bullets and all that kind of stuff. Some people have the ability to kind of somehow manipulate time so it goes in reverse or something like that. So you've got sequences where people are going in the normal speed and other people are in reverse. It is. I mean, it it seems like an idea that you think someone would have had this idea already. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very video game idea. I'm sure I can think of video games when that happens. So. Oh yeah, like Prince of Persia and all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it it's done in that very Nolan style where you yeah. know that they did it practically and they somehow yeah. managed to combine it all together. To sorry, talking of Joseph Gordon Levitt, that um corridor fight in Inception is oh, it's still mag- the most amazing thing. It's just it's absolute credit to Joseph Gordon Levitt himself for being able to actually do that and and do it so effortlessly. He must have learnt it like a a dancer how to do that scene well you need and to watch the behind the scenes sequence because yeah. they built this huge tunnel that's literally yeah. it's like vertical so he's on wires like just suspended in the air yeah it's and um just watching them do it is incredible and i just love but like that film that is up there in one of probably my top five favorite films and i know sure. should be i uh, love that film i've actually visited some of the locations there from you know going <laughs> yes. back to uh they weren't in new york though oh <laughs> But um, just how like that whole sequence takes part because the guy driving the van, he's it goes backwards, doesn't it? And it's falling off yeah, a bridge or something. Yeah, and so that's why all of kind of yeah, all the gravity goes. Gravity weird, yeah. is all shifted. But yeah, I think it's amazing. Is the music uh, uh, really the um? Oh, what's the name of the song? Livion Rose, isn't it? Livion yeah. Rose, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's all slow Is it down, really yeah. that? That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that really it that is, song? Yeah. That's. Yeah. That is very smart. I think that's a very. It is really smart idea. That Nolan. <laughs> that Nolan. Well, that might be Hans. Nothing to do with Nolan. Mr. That's Hans. true. That's true. He's not yeah. doing the music for this one. It's the first one he hasn't done the no. music for. That's surprising. I've actually. forgotten who's doing. Who is doing? I just want to have a quick look. Who's doing the music? Oh yeah, the, I didn't realize the main. A- character in the film is played by um john david washington which is um denzel's son i didn't know it was denzel's son oh wow that's cool that's really cool so the music is by ludwig goranson oh he sounds familiar why does he sound familiar and he has done let's have a look it it looks like he he did I think the Mandalorian music. Ah, uh, that might be it then. Yeah, he seems like he's fairly new. He's quite young, thirty five. Uh, he did Idiocracy. <laughs> Going back to Mike Judge, Tropic Thunder, Devil Wears Prada. Oh, yeah, he, oh no, he's a, that was working assisting Theodore Shaparo, who okay. wrote those scores. So yeah. it's, he's fairly new by the looks of things. Man, that's a so that's, that's a cool. great contract then. Yeah, yeah. Is that we call it job, not contract? 
a great job. Job. <laughs> so I wonder what like his um what Nolan's brief is to him. I just want it to sound like <laughs> and then he's like go. I want it to be <laughs> and he's like yeah sure yeah sure Nolan yeah I'll go do that yeah give, give me a second. I saw Hans him alive and um. He did the Inception suite at the end, like like you know, almost like you know, he's like walks off, and he's like, "See you later, thanks for coming," and you know, like you know, band does an encore. He came back for an encore with his like forty piece orchestra, <laughs> and uh, it was just the um, Inception for like about twenty five minutes. And oh man, God, talk man. about hair raising on you! It's like ooh. got all the tingles, all the tingles. Was Joseph Gordon-Levitt there spinning around? Definitely should have been. He should have been. He should have been. They had... Oh, no. Johnny Marr was at the London dates. He wasn't at the UK ones. <laughs> I know in America or whatever, they had um, a guy from Incubus was playing guitar. For <laughs> really? I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something Isinger. Michael Isinger yeah. or something like that. I don't know. Have you watched any films this week? Yeah, okay. Actually, I watched uh, Long Shot. Which uh, the it's Seth Rogen and Charlie Sheeran. Ah, Charlie Theron. Theron. I'm not talking today. Directed by Jonathan Levine. Uh, The guy did like Fifty Fifty, talking with JGL and Warm Bodies, which I like both. That was a good film. Yeah, I like both of those a lot. Uh, I really liked Longshot a lot. Actually, I really enjoyed it. It was absolutely the film I needed to sit down and watch at that point. I I was sitting down and watching it and just thinking. I've missed rom-coms. Like I miss rom-coms. Like, I wish they were <laughs> oh, rom-coms. It's a rom-com made. Like, yeah, it's like um, she's like a secretary of state or something like that, and he is he, an old high school sc- friend. He writes her. Who writes her he speeches? He write her like speeches. Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's just then a rom-com really. But it's 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 I have to. It's it's time in my life to admit that I like Seth Rogen. I like Seth Rogen a lot. I, I like basically everything I, he does. Like I just never give him credit for it. I think like, I've always been on the Seth Rogen train. Like he was, he was, he's definitely one of my man crushes. But <laughs> but looking at the trailer for this film, it looks like he turned up to set wearing his normal clothes, and they just went, "Yeah, just wear that's fine." <laughs> Have well, you seen? Do you follow him on Instagram? All yeah, he makes do, now yeah, is yeah, pottery, yeah. and it's it's just little ashtrays to keep his dubs on. <laughs> he's um, I think he's best. I might get this wrong, so. You know, asterisk that this might be bullshit. But him and Jonathan Levine, I think, are best friends because I think Fifty Fifty is about. Is it? It might be the writer, not Jonathan Levine. Might be Will Riser going through cancer treatment himself. Um, yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays that character, whose best friend in real life is Seth Rogen. So Seth Rogen basically plays himself in Fifty Fifty, in a roundabout way. It that could be true. I don't know. It I know crap, that um, I think his true. best friend is Evan Goldberg, who's like he's his producing and writing writing partner. Yeah, I think so. so if you watch right. Superbad, Evan, who is played by Michael Cera, is Evan Goldberg. Yeah, and then Seth is obviously Seth Rogen, and Seth Rogen was going to play his own himself in Superbad, but then <laughs> aged out of it. <laughs> and then they pick Jonah Hill, who is pretty much the same age as Seth Rogen yeah. anyway. So yeah, I, I he's always know. looked kind of young, Jonah Hill, though, isn't he, I guess? That's but I mean, true. like, I don't know, 50-50, Longshot, Pineapple Express, 
Steve Jobs, This Is The End. I love, like, all those films. Like, and I love I love what Seth Rogen does in them. So I'm a big Seth Rogen fan. I think um, Green Horn, it was a bit of a misfire. Yeah. I mean, he's got misfires, but I think when he... But, you know, who hasn't? I like the Spiderwick Chronicles, too, and he's in that, so I don't know. I haven't seen that. He's in Donnie Darko as well, briefly. He's in Donnie bully. Darko, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I tell you what's really good. Uh, Freaks and Geeks is a good show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, forget. It. Yeah. And his girlfriend in that show is played by the girl from Election, who is the sister of Chris. Okay, Klein. Tammy. You know the one who runs, who runs against his. She runs against his own brother, her own yeah. brother. Sorry. Yeah. The the cast. But then she dropped out of acting, and she quit freaks. acting after that. Oh, did they? Oh, she, sorry. Yeah. Everyone from think... Freaks and Geeks has done incredibly well. Yeah. Every one of them has just gone like off Martin to have Star, a career. Yeah. James Franco, Martin Linda Star, Cardellini, uh, Busy Phillips. Who else is it? Um, the kid, the main kid, he he wrote the Spider-Man Homecoming, I think, and uh, the sequel, <laughs> I think. I think, because that's why Martin Star's in it, if I'm correct. I think that's why. But, yeah. it's Oh, uh, because he wrote it. But also, Mindstar is mean... just great. He, I've, I, I enjoy Mind. I mean, he's always a bit part. He's never like a the lead in a yeah, film. Yeah, but I like. I mean, I know, he obviously had a big business. part. In... Do you know what I mean? Like my favorite stuff of like the uh, Superman Far From Home, Superman, Spider Man Far From Home was like him pissing around with like the camera and stuff like that, trying to take photos. <laughs> Chops it in the room. Yeah, it's good. yeah, all his like little business. I was like, I'm on board for Mindstar. I could just watch this. You know, he's got a little cameo in Incredible Hulk. And um, Edward Norton like buys him pizza or something in it, and there's just a shot of him just kind of like eating the pizza. Apparently, they've retconned it now, so he's the same character. <laughs> I didn't remember that at all. <laughs> um, what was that? Yeah, but like we've gone full circle, freaks um, and geeks, because say. like that's Judd Apatow, isn't it? And Paul Feig, which we yeah, yeah. mentioned. So I think that's a nice yeah. loop. I think Holly. we've gone in a full loop. I think it's mainly a Paul Feig production. I think. Like yeah, he, Judd Apatow's I think it's got his it funded. Idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best thing Paul Feig's done, in my opinion. Oh, I love Spy. I think Spy's brilliant. I think Spy's so I good. Haven't seen, I just can't stand Melissa McCarthy. I just oh, I can't she's stand great, her. I really like Melissa McCarthy. I just, like, I do. She should have I just, won an Oscar. I think Ghostbusters ruined it for me, because all she does in that film is shout. That's Ghostbusters all she is just does, bad. It was badly put together, but... That's not any reason for me to hate her because when she's like, can if you watch, I don't can hate you ever her. That sounds me? horrible. She's so good, like, but, but yeah, I'll give it a go. I'll give it. A go. Is that with Sandra Bullock? No, that's Spy. the heat, isn't it? Uh, Spy's the one yeah, with Jason Statham. Is that Jason Statham? Yeah, it's good. But also, Bridesmaids. Oh, by the way, you know Paul we Fig did that as well. So like... that was good. To be fair, Bridesmaids was good. You know how that's... we talked about uh, Batman Forever last week. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's some unfinished business for me with oh, regards God. to that film. Talking about it wasn't long enough. So let me bring out my notes. Jesus, it's my notes. Ollie's just unrolled a massive scroll like a town crier. No, it's currently running across the floor. It. it keeps going and it's bumped into the circuit circuits. The skirting board is what I'm trying to say. So, Go on then, get <clears throat> your list. <clears throat> it's clearing my throat. <clears> throat> you, this just sounds you. so incredibly forced now. Point number one. Point one. I like Batman. <laughs> the Batmobile. What do you think of the Batmobile, Liam? I like that it lights up. 
<laughs> just like, do you know that Geiger originally designed a Batmobile for it? Really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm just going to say really so like, much. It looked like a, a pair of scissors. It was really bizarre looking. And then I think they looked it and they went, nah. But then if you look at the Batmobile they made, it kind of looks like an alien head. It, yeah, it does look Geiger inspired. Yeah, it does look Geiger inspired a little bit. A big Geiger cop. So the, That's what it is. The behind the scenes uh, of uh, Prometheus are hilarious because they, you're laughing at yourself. Yes. <laughs> they invited Geiger to kind of help with his design work for Prometheus. And you can see him kind of hobbling around the office with his. He kind of draws on scraps of paper and stuff like that. <laughs> and he, he's showing Geiger the now? designs. <laughs> Wasn't well, he like 100 now. when he did Aliens? No, he was Alien. always one of those like he looked like one of those people that if you shook his hand, he had a clam like a small clammy hand. <laughs> he might not have done, but he, that's just what I got the impression. Have you ever shaken the hand with someone with like a little limp clammy, like sure. clammy hand? Sure. And you're like, mm. <laughs> I was going to go for the crypt um, keeper more than anything else. Like. <laughs> yes, but um, yeah. So on the behind the scenes of that, he's got like doodles of like typical Geiger stuff, and like really Scott's looking at it going. Yes, that's uh, it's, it's very good. Well done. Carry on. <laughs> and they use none of his designs in that film. What's point, point two? number two? Moving on. <laughs> Ten weeks of post-production. That's pretty nuts. Yep, that's nuts. Point Cons- three. Yes. Next. No, I haven't finished. <laughs> Considering... Star Wars Phantom Menace had two years of post. Yeah, that, yeah, but, that's um, a really good point. But then, uh, what? Okay, I won't ask this. You I'm guessing like a lot of the model shots and stuff were being filmed as the film was being shot itself. What's the only but, uh, way that to it do the music done. and complete the editing and stuff? That's insane. It kind of feels like a film that was it. Like it almost feels like a kind of Marvel, modern Marvel film in a lot of ways. I bet a lot of the stuff was pre-put together before they started shooting. They, they, there was a lot of slotting well, stuff in and that kind of way. Well, yeah, I mean, like there weren't green screens on set. It was like fully built sets, wasn't it? So it's not yeah. like they have to put in the rest of the surrounding around them. It's like they built massive sets. Uh, point number three. It's not a point. It's a question. <laughs> Well, actually, those. Two. First of all, what are your thoughts of <laughs> what are your thoughts list. of Val Kilmer? Uh, what well, as like, Batman? How, how do you think of it? Yeah, what, what, like, how do you rate him, like, compared to say, like, Michael Keaton? He's nowhere near like, as good as Michael Keaton. It's not even in the same ballpark. Uh, I think, I think he's a very boring Batman. I don't think he's engaging on screen. I don't think he's like he hasn't got that kind of intensity i think even though i think val kilmer has everything to do batman i just don't think it's on screen in batman forever is that a yeah, I wonder that's what that was, because we've seen batman. him in other stuff where you know like heat and stuff where he's definitely got yeah he's got everything intense i think he just didn't like making but, um, it i think i think that just comes through that film i i and i think i know i think i'm gonna know what you're gonna say but i do think george clooney's worse than val kilmer <laughs> Oh, 100%. Like, George Clooney just pretty much played George Clooney, didn't he? Really? Yeah. Like, he doesn't and if you watch that film, a lot. With Batman. Whenever he's out of the suit in that film, he's always, like, in his joggers and he's putting a towel on his shoulder. That's, like, <laughs> constantly what I noticed he keeps doing. But yeah, I, I thought he was pretty bland. Like, if you look at, like, scenes, like, in, like, Batman 89 and stuff with Michael Keaton, 
and he's like doing you know the whole let's get nuts kind of scene like he's kind yeah. of got loads loads of different things he's doing in that film and um Keaton turns it on, yeah. Keaton, yeah, he does. He has that. Like Keaton, kind of feels like a psychopath. That's what the Tim Burton movies kind of are. They're films about psychopaths, and Batman's one of them. And I think yeah, Keaton yeah, yeah. has that in him, like, and it's always like right there that this guy is. You don't want to be friends with this guy. You don't want to sit down to dinner with this guy. He's he's scary. He's weird. Like, and I think Keaton got that. Whereas Val Kilmer just comes across as a bit bored, really. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Wayne would be a bit of a weird person in real life if he existed. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, Val Kilmer just plays him as a very boring, <laughs> normal <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> so who, like, who's your favourite on-screen Batman? Just out of interest. Uh, uh, um, hmm. This is a very long pause. It's hard to choose between Bale and, and um, Keaton. Uh, they're both brilliant for different reasons. Uh, I, yeah. might, I, I, think... I might prefer Keaton, I, but I, 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 Keaton, it's saying that Keaton wouldn't fit into like the Nolan films, so I don't know. Like, Bale was amazing. He was really good. but Yeah. Um... He's definitely got the more nuanced... Um, uh, Bruce Wayne in terms of the fact that he's kind of got the other levels he's got like the 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 business side one that kind of is the showboaty kind of like the fake side you've got the real Bruce Wayne and then you've got Batman haven't you so he kind of got those three levels whereas I think Bale's Bale got this ability well, I don't to know, bring Keaton has this got ju- that as well yeah but I, was, I think Bale had this ability to bring this character that is really ridiculous and make him feel real Whereas Keaton doesn't try to make him feel real, he tries to make him feel like this kind of fantasy character. I think Bell managed yeah, to like, bring this reality to the to both Bruce and Batman, which is hard to do, I think. Like, well, like you, you've got the scene in the first like Batman Begins where um, he goes to dinner and he's kind of got the girl on the two girls on his arm and he's kind of living it up and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's all playing to up to it. And then you've got the scene in the apartment in the second film. Whereas you've got the party in '89, and he's still Bruce Wayne's still awkward, even yeah, at his own yeah, party. Yeah, he does, really, yeah. he should be like, be larger than life, like kind of yeah. like showing off a bit. But uh, he doesn't do that. He's still like an introvert, isn't he? Even at his own. Yeah, he can't even put the yeah he can't put the mask away to even be like Bruce Wayne. Really, he's just kind of a, a, yeah. a lunatic. I am. I, that concludes my uh, my additional <laughs> uh, content. I was trying to think. I don't know the other Batman. I didn't like Affleck, and and Adam West is amazing as doing Adam West Batman. So I don't know. Like, yeah, <laughs> like Adam West is kind of in say? a category all of his own. Yeah. Oh, you know how you were saying last week about how you thought that um, Tommy Lee Jones was doing like the sixty six, what the sixty six Two Face would have been like. Yeah, that was my theory. So there was a the, so there was a film. Uh, like an animated film that came out about four or five years ago and it has adam west as batman and burt ward as robin and guess who voices uh two-face in that who uh uh william shatner <laughs> what and to be fair he would have been he would have been a perfect two-face back in the day in the series oh i reckon God. yeah he could have been yeah that's so weird I know that I know that thing existed. I didn't know bloody Shatner was voicing Two Face. <laughs> anyway, we've gone on for about yeah. seventy hours, Ollie. So I think that's true. 
We need to move forwards and go. <laughs> we're finally so, what up... we talking about this week, Liam? <laughs> well, our podcast is moving on and moving back in time, and we've left the 90s now, and we're jumping 20 years hence, I don't know if this makes sense at all, to the 1970s, which um, I'm quite excited to look at the 1970s, actually, because I think, for me, um, the 1970s is kind of where modern film gets birthed that might sound really grand but yeah. i think like i think before that it's very a different era and i think modern film starts getting birthed around the like, 1970s you get that kind of change in art movement these kind of experimentally harder films you get then the rise of like like franchises that still exist today you get the rise of like um, screen film right like directors like who influence everything we do today and it instill around like Scorsese yeah, like horror films well Spielberg's like, yeah the like, rise of know, horror Halloween and stuff, and like, stuff like that um you get a grittier kind of sensibility of to it you get a kind of and you get a kind of more realism to films where it's not so much glitz and glam which was still kind of happening in the 60s so I was kind of excited to dive into the 70s really um when I mean 1970 itself have you got any thoughts about films in 1970 for me, um, I'm a big fan of El Topo. Have you seen that film? No, I haven't seen El Topo. Tell me about it. It's the Hado. I can't pronounce his name. Alejandro Hodorowsky. Oh yeah, you know, Hodorowsky, the kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah, the kind of art house kind of. I don't know. It's like it's like a acid western film. It's like yeah, because we watched the the Tune documentary, documentary together. We did, yeah, yeah. And like as a as a person himself, he's a very charismatic but very eccentric kind of person, sure. and I think that kind of bleeds through in his films. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I, when I think of Hodorowsky, I think of like the Holy Mountain and the imagery yeah, of that yeah. and stuff is just kind of it's surreal, kind of fantasy kind of elements to it. Like, they are they are quite tough viewings. Yeah, like, yeah, again, a bit like what we were talking about today. They're a bit rough and ready. Hmm. But there's something endearing about them, and they're always creative and kind of, you know, a bit out there. But they're they're kind of very much like films I'd probably watch when I was a bit younger and uh, partook in a bit of the uh, of the old doobage. <laughs> and it was films that we'd kind of sit and watch because it was just weird. Just it was just visuals to kind of to go alongside our. Um... Well, I think as as I just said, you got that in the seventies. This kind of politically or, or like aesthetically adventurous new cinema wave really yeah, coming yeah, through yeah. and um i think a large part Hodorowsky is, is is feeding into that style you know bringing that surrealism maybe from the 60s oh. through and thing like and, and massively and that connection yeah. stuff um but like more normal affair i always think of um love story which we were talking about rom-coms earlier but i, I um love story is kind of one of those atypical love films really I mean, it's in the name uh it was it was a huge film in 1970 it's one of the host, highest grossing films of all time it um tommy d jones gets his start in it but i think what most people who maybe even haven't seen it know it from is that is that line reading that um love means never having to say you're sorry something that i think people know that that sentence then that quote but wouldn't even put it to love story I've never actually seen that film, so that's definitely one that I need to. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I do like it. I think it holds up. To but, get on on there. I mean, the, my favourite film from the seven, 1970s, though is um. Do you know how familiar you with Robert Altman films? Because he's got two in nineteen seventy. 
I've seen a few. Which ones came out in 1970 then? 1970 got MASH and you've got Brewster McLeod. I always forget he directed a MASH film, you know. And I, I watched... MASH is like a show that I don't know if it was nah. as big over here as yeah, it was. I'm, yeah, I don't know America. anyone who watched MASH. I literally don't know a single person. My aunt who, watched, who watched MASH, it. I know that. <laughs> maybe it's just maybe we were just too young for any of us to watch it, I don't know. Well, but, um, it finished before we were even born. Do you yeah, know what but I mean? so did stuff like Happy Days. Now, watch that. Like, it's so... It, I that's just, that's true. It just, it didn't, so maybe it just didn't work, work over here as much and just didn't get into syndication. I don't know, really. Well, I guess, you know, the the Vietnam War was... It was more... Uh, Korean War. Oh, it was the Korean War, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it probably wasn't as prevalent to, to the UK, I guess. I don't know. I think, I think Britain did fight in the Korean War. I have Did no we? idea. I have no idea, actually. But anyway, I watched Mash, and it is. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't no. like the film. No, I think it's um a really horrible film. I think it's really um, ugh. um. I don't know what the word is, but very. I guess very seventies. It's it's, I, it's a film that tells you to like these people that are horrible people, and I didn't get it. Like I was like, why should they win? The twats. Like why they they hate like a female officer for no reason that she's a female officer as far as I can tell and stuff. And I was watching it going, I don't like them. I don't want them to succeed. I don't like this film. And maybe it's just so. Was the show still on while this was on? Or I don't know. I don't know if this finished the show. I don't know if it started the show. I I should have looked it up, and I don't know. Um, I simply don't know. It, it in this in this film you get um, the two lead characters meet each other for the first time what's his face and what's his face this is really informative when i say that um oh god i just watched it and i can't remember the bloody names and the character played by um donald sutherland the character played by elliot gould so hawkeye meets uh like trapper john is that his name right um uh for the first time so i i thought i was watching this in the idea that it's um it was like the first film it was or something before the show but it, i've actually no idea um, right. But also, same same year, he releases Brewster McLeod, and I think Brewster McLeod's wonderful. Okay, um, I'll have to it, check that one out. It does have some odd use of language and racism, which was oh, weird to watch me yeah, right now. Yeah, well, but, I guess that's going to be quite prevalent in the 70s. Yeah, um, but it, it's a great little kind of surrealist, crazy little film. Um, really kind of just out here and experimental. It kind of plays with narrative and the, and stuff like that, and I and I really enjoy it. I really like really enjoy that film. It's It's kind of a bit crazy. I know it's also I mean, got Rennie Ojumbenoir in it. Um, okay. Who was in obviously Batman Forever last week, so it made me think of it. Uh, I mean, you've you've definitely got a lot of war films st- still coming out, haven't you? Because yeah. obviously, you know, Vietnam was still going on. To be honest, the, like World War Two had ended, like what probably how many twenty years prior? Yeah. Um, but I guess still like World War Two items were probably still easy to get hold of, and that so yeah, lots probably. of kind of. So you had like Kelly's Heroes, which was all right. Oh, okay, yeah. Patton, I think Patton's fantastic. I've Patton? never seen Patton. I have to, I have to admit that Patton won the a... um, best picture this year, didn't it? Yeah, so. Patton is a great film, to be fair, and rightfully so. I think uh, it's been you a got... while since I've watched it, though. I think it's been a good. But you're right. There does seem to be it. some reckoning with with kind of war in this because you got Patton yeah. and you got Tora, 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 Tora. Yeah. yeah, which so there does seem to be some weird. We're doing World War Two now, like. Like one of my dad's favorite films came out, Little Big Man. Oh, okay, yeah, Justin sure. Justin Hoffman. 
Which uh, I have seen, but I haven't seen it since I was a child. So it's one of those ones that... I think... Like, the, the early 70s is going to be a bit of a rough patch for me in terms of what I have and haven't seen. Yeah, I probably totally. haven't seen a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like, one of my mum's favourites was Ryan's Daughter. Yeah, I've watched Ryan's Daughter. It's um, yeah. it's probably David Lean's worst film, frankly. <laughs> probably. Um, but that's not... That's a bit... He makes wonderful films, so, you know. But um, Ryan's daughter, that's... Uh, do you know that he built a village for that film? To, to yeah, you told it? me that so the week, just, actually. <laughs> uh, did I say it on this? Then you can cut this out. No, but that's I, yeah. fine. We're keeping it in. We're keeping it in. But, um, yeah, I like Ryan's daughter. But I think I think what's really iconic to me... when I, There's two films, like, and then we must move on. But, like, uh, Airport came out this year, which I I've say never that, seen which... Airport. Have you ever watched it? Well, no, but isn't that pretty much what airplanes are yeah, remade? Yeah, that's of, what like, airplanes are satire shot. of. Yeah, and I, I know airport only because airplanes are satire of it. That's it. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea what it's like or if it's good or anything. I just know it came out this year. Also, this is like the last decade where you get those old actors. So, like, yeah, you know your your pecs and your um, you know um, well, Jimmy Stewart's uh, got a voiceover in um, Brewster McCloud as well so yeah he's still he's still hanging around <laughs> and john wayne as well john wayne's like, still around know, yeah his yeah. last few films are in this decade i think jack so, lemon yeah. is still making films as well the out of town well he was still, still making still. them into the 90s though wasn't he so good point yeah because <laughs> we covered one of them but uh we did. i think um and uh I was, I was trying to think you know like aristocats came out this year which is one of those disney films i never think of I, I it's don't even a bit know. If, boring. That's why. It's I don't just... even know if I have an opinion of it. I've I watched no. it quite recently, and I think I think my main takeaway was the fact that they animate cats really well, which might sound a bit harsh. <laughs> no, but... yeah, it's probably what they should have done for the feature film of Cats. But uh... yeah, yeah, probably. This was this was a period in Disney. I think it was like Robin Hood around this period as well, and. Uh... 67 was Robin Hood or something yeah because because Disney always have go in ebbs and flows don't they where their yeah. animated films are on fire then they kind of go down then they go up again they go down yeah. I don't know which era we're in now I don't know if they're on the high at the moment or if they're kind of oh, it must be high really because if... I guess so but the last um, Wreck-It Ralph was pretty boring and the Frozen liked, 2 didn't read really do much Ralph for the internet. it was alright but I liked it I haven't seen Frozen 2 so I literally cannot comment but maybe that's the problem. I don't even know much people who went out and saw it. It's like it's like Frozen was huge and everyone stopped caring and they released Frozen 2 and no one went to go see it. Well, I mean, it made over a billion dollars, didn't it? But, um, Did it? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. I am massive. wrong, then. I just don't know. Um, I, guess, I guess I don't have kids. It, well, the, there was a time where Disney, if they did a sequel, it just went straight to DVD. I mean, all video. Like yeah. They didn't. yeah. Like, now they're, in the, now they're in the sequel business. But before, you know... You know, Aladdin and Lion King were like the two biggest films of those years, or Beauty and the Beast, or Little Mermaid, and yet their sequels were like straight to video cheap things. When you think, yeah. well, they could have spent a lot of money and just kind of, unless they kind of want those cinematic films to be quite, you know, prestigious, or you know, they want that prestige of just being that kind of perfect little film, and it doesn't, they don't want the dirty little. They want the money from the VHS sales of the sequel, yeah, but they don't sure. want it to muddy the brand, like the theatrical. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 
Well, let's let's move on anyway. Can say yeah. that uh, <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about Barbara Loden's Wonder. Play the trailer, boys. <laughs> Come home from work, she's lying around on the couch, kids are dirty, there's diapers on the floor. Sometimes the kids is outside, running around, nobody watching them. Wanda Goronsky. Listen, Judge, if he wants a divorce, just give it to him. You know what happened to me? Somebody stole all my money. I'm just no good. <laughs> just no good. You can do it. I can't. You can do it. I can't. You can. I can't. You can. I can't. Sun's going down. So, uh, yeah, Wonder. So, we, we, we've seen that, how we're going to cover, like, quite a bigger films, because there's obviously big gaps in the stuff we've seen that at this time. <laughs> but then I put Wonder on the list, which is a film I think most people just haven't heard of, frankly. I, I, it's um, It barely got a theatrical release in the US, which is part of the whole story, really. But it did win. Well, it's... It seems like it got remastered like in the last ten years, and it yeah. kind of got put back into film festivals or Definitely. like out of yeah. competition or whatever. But kind of, it got reappraised by like, or it got rediscovered, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that it got um kind of twenty seventeen. It was put up for the um Library of Congress basically for being culturally historically important. It got a big re kind of um uh, re release and and re kind of positioning for that. But I thought um. I was really keen to kind of cover a female director, basically, and yeah, and especially at this time period, it's it's difficult because it's Hollywood, you know, and it's it's difficult now to find women who are allowed to kind of make films. And when you're going back in time, it's much harder. And um, Barbara Loden's just a really really interesting character that really should be talked about more in in terms of what she did and um and, and her position in kind of film history because when this film came out she was basically one of the only female directors that ever got a theatrical release film in America in an absolute absolute handful of people That's um, crazy. and uh herself she was a really really interesting character she was who unfortunately after this film never made another film uh, despite trying, and she then she made several shorts. I think. She did make a couple of shorts. Yeah, she was working on stuff, but she couldn't actually get stuff funded. She couldn't get stuff in, and uh, she ended up um, getting breast cancer in 1978, so eight years after this film, and dying in 1980. So unfortunately, like uh, this, really is stands alone as her piece of work. Really, uh, yeah, she Barbara... was 48 when she passed away. I think. Yeah, only 48 years old. Yeah, she was 38 when she made this. Um, 
it her story really i think in a lot of ways is a story of 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 women working in hollywood in this time and i think in a large way her story um is one that should be told and talked about more that kind of is in this picture so yeah. i know it's kind of hard to find this film but i d- would really recommend people watching it well i mean in a in America, if there's anybody in America who listens, we know your mom listens, but your yep. mom doesn't live in Hi, America. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's on, it's part of the Criterion collection, so you can yeah. definitely get it on Blu-ray or DVD. There, you'll be able to get it on the Criterion. It, it might be on well. the Criterion channel, maybe. I'm yeah, not sure I think, how I think that they works, all are. But... I think. Um, yeah. The history of we, we give a bit of introduction to Barbara Loden as well. Who she was an actress, mainly a theatre actress. She won a Tony for her acting. I did. She? Um, she was a then she moved into films but i think the story of her as an actress in hollywood is a large part the story of of them not knowing what to do with someone who they just wanted to treat as a pinup and actually she wasn't that she would she you know she was uh she kind of wanted to take her own path she wanted to do more and she was a bit outspoken about that and i think because of that she suffered really to try and get a lot of roles she's only really in right. two films before making this uh, one film, like she shot a third film, which she gets cut out of, almost completely. Um, which was, um, if I remember right, it was. Uh, oh damn, I had it written down, but I can't find it now. But it doesn't matter. And uh, uh, the swimmer, which she got deleted from, um, which uh. is the swimmer's got a whole massive history to itself, really. And then um, she just struggled to find other work. At the time, she was married to a film director, K- Kazan. Um, you might know. Um, was this the guy that she was originally? He started to write the film, and then she kind of took over. Yeah, Elia Kazan. Yeah, which That's in itself, one, yeah. that sounds like it might not be true. In itself, it might sound like oh really him taking credit for stuff that he had nothing to do with. Which uh, again, a large part of the female story in Hollywood. I think like I think everything about about like. Uh, Barbara Loden in Hollywood kind of sings to the 70s and how women right. were treated there. Um, she was compared to kind of Marlon Brando as an actress. Uh, she had like this element of improv- improvisation with her, um, a surprise at what she does, like um, that really people said no one else kind of had apart from kind of like, you know, that Brando technique and stuff. And she then, she was on, basically she was on safari moaning that she couldn't um, make a film. A friend of hers, Harry Schuster, offered her 100k to make her own movie. So she wrote a screenplay for Wonder. She um, couldn't sell it. No one would buy it. So she just chose to shoot it herself and star in it herself. Uh, by the way, no one shoot it. Not even a husband that's Eli Kazan would shoot it. So she just did what it herself. Think? Like um, on a budget, I think it was 115k. I think that's all. Yeah, she and they had like I think it was like four of them in the crew. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a DP who was also the editor. Yeah. I guess there was a boom operator. Whereas I don't think the boom operator did a very good job because I could not <laughs> hear half of the dialogue in this film. Well, it's, That could be my gamma years. But, uh, I, I didn't have trouble with it, so I don't know if that was just how you No, I didn't have trouble. It, that's, so. not, that's not true. That's not fair. It's just you can tell it was a low-budget production. Yeah, you can. Like but, and, But it also adds to it a little bit, I think. Because, oh, yeah, I, I agree, to be honest. Cause I it's shot agree. on 16 mil, which... yeah. Maybe you want to explain what that really means for people who don't know what that means, really. <laughs> okay, I'll try my best to explain it. So <laughs> you've got different kind of film stocks. So you've kind of got 8mm, which is what your kind of 
your old Super 8 cameras would have been shot on, your home videos, videos and you've got yeah. 16 mil, which is higher and it can be projected. It can be blown up bigger on screen, basically. And then you go up to like 32 mil, uh, 75, and then you go up to then, say, like uh, uh, IMAX, which I'm not even sure what IMAX is. But anyway, big, the bigger big. the, the film stock, the bigger the mill, the better it looks blown up on screen, basically. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kind of, it, like, to, still to this day, I think Black Swan was so, shot on 16 mil. Was I think, it? I, I didn't believe know so. Cool. Uh, obviously, now with the way you can post-process films, it can probably look a lot better than it did back then. Yeah, this to me, this very much looks like 16 mil blown up. Yeah, like, I mean, Clerks was shot on black and white 16 mil yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, so that's probably where the noise comes from as well. Like if you watch the film, yeah. it's quite noisy. Yeah, and that's yeah. because you know the bigger the, the the bigger you blow an image up, the more n- the noise will be like apparent. But I think but, like, um, but it adds to it. It's it's all it part does. of the texture. It feels a little um cinema verite to me. Yeah, yeah. Um. Which, you know, documentary style, French documentary style about kind of reality shooting, really. Um, well, I was going to say, French it's new kind of, stuff, like, I was going to say a bit French New Wave, yeah. where you've kind of got the new German cinema. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, uh, or like the Andy Warhol film, so that yeah, kind of like that's a good art one. kind of films and yeah. stuff like that. But it, it feels like that, which adds to it. This, to me, really feels like a reality film. I think it helps that a lot of the actors are very amateur, and sometimes or some of them weren't actors. Weren't even actors. Yeah, so I think... A lot of their dialogue just feels like. Well, apparently, she shot it like almost improvised. Improvised, like the the, yeah. the screenplay that she wrote basically acted as a skeleton structure for the skeleton structure for the kind of scenes, and she allowed people just to get there in their own way of saying stuff. And I think you see that in the scenes of this film. There's stuff like, uh, is it the old guy who wants to go fishing that ends up giving her a bit of the, money? I was gonna say I've got it in my notes. The coal picker is my favorite yeah. character. Like he she was just amazing. randomly like you've got this whole tracking shot that's I'd, I'd say it's about a minute in length, maybe longer, and it's just yeah. tracking her walking through this quarry. Oh, when she's just that white <laughs> dress and the quarry's just that black. Yeah, and he's just behind tracking. Her. And yeah, then yeah. she just walks up to this picker, and like I don't know if there's any relation to her and the picker. I don't I don't know if it's even said, but no. She just goes up asking for some money. Yeah. <laughs> he gives her some money. He goes, I haven't got much money, but this is all I can give you. Go ask someone else for some money. Yeah. But like, <laughs> she goes, I'm going to take it easy for the day. Go fishing. Yeah. And then go home and enjoy myself for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the way he says it sounds like, I think it's Pennsylvania. This is set and shot. And so, and so it just sounds regional to me. It sounds like this is how this guy would say this. The set, I've the, got the note. The script he might say like something different, this is how this guy says it. Sorry. Sorry, no, what do you say? Sorry, say that again. I said, like, um, the, to me, this sounds regional. Like, this, the script might have said, like, here you go, have some money, and, you know, and later on I'm going to go fishing or something. Like, But the way he says it makes it sound, like, real to me. Like, he, like right. almost like he read what the script seemed to do and just put it in the way he says stuff. And it just made it feel, right. like, really stand out to me, actually. He sounded a bit like Ladka to me from Taxi. Thank you very much. But I'll tell you what I got. I a vibe from this film though. I got a bit of the Vim Vendors vibe, who obviously was part of the uh, the new German cinema kind of wave. Cool. So like okay. films like Paris, Texas and stuff like yeah. that. I'd say that film's maybe a bit more focused, but it's still sure. like a road movie kind yeah. of Yeah, yeah. Got that kind of flowy vibe where they probably have non actors and stuff like that, but 
I th- and yeah. I think she's doing this. She's shooting this in '69. This is a '70s film. I think it's. Um, yeah, so it's. I would say she's a pioneer. Basically, she's ahead of oh, the time. Definitely. Like, the stuff I saw in this was like, this is Scorsese. This is what Scorsese does later in the '70s. Really, it, he builds on this kind of this this stuff coming through, and um, but she's doing this then, you know, <laughs> like much more further before. See, so you can. I think you can take this film in two different ways like so for example there's a lot of long takes that can mm. can seem awkward sure or badly sure. acted or badly shot so you can either take it that it's it's very amateurish and they're not sure what they're doing or you can take it on the other hand where she knows exactly what she wants yeah. and exactly how she wants it and i she feel like she knew what style. she was doing and i think those... it's the latter but i think yeah you can watch it and think the other maybe yeah I, I i didn't think of that but i think you're right the way those a shot, the shots linger on her face. It's a, it's a film that really puts you in her position. Like it's a lot of dialogue is spoken off screen, and you watch her react to it, and you're watching yeah. her expression fade, almost too, almost uncomfortably close to her face, almost like you say, "Did they know what they were doing? You know, did they get too close by accident, or did she really want it that close?" But um, it puts you in absolute mindset of her. You feel her. You feel like. You understand her expression. By the end of the film, you know what all those micro expressions mean and what she's feeling all the time. And I just was kind of a little bit taken aback by that, actually. And um, it feels like, I don't know, ahead of its time, Bankley, that this was shot so cheap in, in the 70s, especially 1970s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And even to give a little um, bit more about the film, it's, it's, um, it's semi-autobiographical, she explains it as. Uh, it's a passive kind of this this kind of disconnected coal miner's wife who is just out and out she's got she can't get work she's you know she can't keep any anybody she can't like live anywhere she keeps having no money um who attaches herself to a petty crook and they go on a bit of a road trip and have some crime sprees but it's not like it's not glamorized it's not like crime sprees like a bonnie and clyde type of thing it's it really demystifies that kind of glam and glitz of, of cinema which really i can't which really was the 60s and before that this is really just stripped back to a film that's not anything glamorous about it at all really actually um eventually it it does get a release in america it gets um but it didn't have a wide release but it it was the only american film at the venice film festival in 1970 where it won the critics prize for best foreign film um and then it got presented at the 1971 Cannes because of that um, in 2010, it gets relaunched and kind of re re put in and put into the Museum of Modern Art and stuff like that. And she's started to kind of be seen as this uh, very early kind of feminist filmmaker, really. Even though at the time she didn't describe herself as a feminist, but I think that's because of what feminism was when she made this film compared to what it is now. I'd say now there's you couldn't describe this as anything else but a feminist movie. Well, I guess, but I guess at the time her character is kind of like you know she's kind of used quite a lot in it or like you know kind Ooh, sure. of abused quite a lot do you know she's what i mean abused like a lot, yeah. mr dennis just kind of like uses her pretty much yeah. do you know what i mean and yeah, yeah, um, yeah you know she she at the beginning so she she meets a guy in a bar after she's told she goes after she's told she there's no job for at this kind of like that, uh, sewing factory textile factory mm. Um, she goes to a bar to kind of drown her sorrows, I guess. Yeah. A guy sees her and says, I'll buy you a drink. The next thing you know, they're in a motel. Yeah. They've had sex. She wakes up. He leaves straight away. So, you know, he's going to leave without her. Yeah. 
she he doesn't want to be managed... anywhere near her at that point like and and yeah. she knows that if he leaves without her she's stuck you know she's got no money she doesn't really know what she is so she has to kind of you know, run after him to to jump in this car yeah and then he he leaves a, a band at this like uh ice cream stall yeah a little kiosk just... isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah and then she seems to get a free ice cream like <laughs> considering she's quite poor and she knows how to kind of survive survive do you know what i mean like she's learned how to survive i think that's why it's a um she said that this this film isn't about like women's liberation this is why she said it's not a feminist film but it's it is about oppression of women and what it feels like to be a woman in her position at this time and like she's learned to how to kind of navigate this world by attaching herself to men because that's the only way for her to kind of get through and you know to get money to get kind of to get people looked after even though that it's this this horrible cycle basically where they treat her and abuse her but yeah. she keeps kind of just following after that because it's what she I knows mean, we don't know if her ex-husband treated her badly I, we don't know about that no but I, uh, yeah because we don't she's know, got but... kids that she obviously doesn't she either thinks they're best not being anywhere near me or she's not bothered about them i don't think they're really kind of and then she carries a picture of she, them i think she carries wallet. a picture i got the expre- 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 i got the impression impression that um she she was abused by him and she thought the oh, best okay. way for them to kind of have a good life is if i'm not in here because he'll just you know he'll yeah lash out at them if i'm not there or something that's why that's like what i got from the kind of the weird divorce arrangement bit where she kind of just turns up and just tries to kind of get away instantly. Right. And then then who's the next? So then she meets um, Mr. Dennis in yeah, a bar. So like she just she... walks into a bar that he goes, oh, this, you know, you think he's a bar owner. Yeah, and until like, you oh, see the dead the barman. And then, like I was thinking, he's acting really bizarrely. Yeah. Like he's kind of doing these weird flinching movements and stuff. And then you find out there's a dead body in the bar and he's obviously yeah. just robbing the bar and he's killed the bar owner. And then they have sex in a motel. And then yeah, later she, on, she she's latches actually... herself onto him, doesn't she? Like anyone else. Yeah. She, yeah. And then later on in the film, and I'm jumping ahead, but she's <laughs> she's um, she's raped. And uh, so, yeah, she's she's uh, men very much take advantage of her in this yeah. film. Yeah. Continuously, almost continuously. Like and um, most not of the, the film... coal picker, though. He's a good dude. No, the coal picker's a good guy. But like this film is just in her face and you, and you and you get to kind of understand like the way she's managed to navigate life and the way she managed to, to shrug things off um, and all those little like side glances she gives and all those kind of little micro expressions and, and stuff like tell you about how she's hardened to all this. You know, this is just part of her life. It's a shitty place to be a woman when you haven't got any education and you haven't got a job and you haven't got any money and men just absolutely treat you like crap like the like i absolutely hated mr dennis with an absolute passion <laughs> like oh, I yeah just, he's a he's a see you next tuesday it. yeah absolutely like and uh it, like that he just constant like that constant dismissal of her at every single moment she even says anything out loud she'll say something completely logical and he will moan about her hair being a mess and saying you need to get a hat and stuff like that i did like that one scene though i, I don't know if it was they just happened to be filming a scene and someone was fil- flying the aeroplane around them so they're like well that we've, was just gotta, mental. We've, we've just got to use it because otherwise we've just got to go with it and like he's jumping on top of the car and then he after a while he just turns to her and just goes you need a hat 
<laughs> that like when they're lying in bed and he's like, I want three hamburgers, nothing on them and a newspaper. And oh, then she, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, what? what? And he's like, go and do it. Go on. And she's like, okay, Christ. And then she kind of like doesn't know where she's going. So she asks directions. And because of that, she gets hit when she comes back into the room. Yeah, because like, of, you know, obviously Christ. he's killed someone. So he's running from the law. Yeah. And I was thinking to lead back to him. But but I don't, I'm not saying I agree with his actions. By no, the no, 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 no. I just like, he's, uh, he's so egotistical. For a guy that I just don't think deserves to have any ego to him, and like, he... oh yeah, he's like a very schlubby looking yeah. guy. Like, there's nothing amazing just a about schlubby him. guy. And like, he's not very he good is... at doing what he does. No, he's awful. He basically killed a barman and robbed the bar, and he thinks he's like fucking the most like like Al Capone or something. He's checking, he's seeing if his name's in the newspaper, and every siren must be for him and stuff. You kind and... of like in that scene as well in the car when she's reading the newspaper. You get a, a like because she's very aimless in this film, isn't she? she yeah, she's really depressed know. as fuck. Is that this? She's, yeah. she's in this film. But she's like. also very honest and also very yes. naive, and yeah, you can tell yeah. she's probably not very well educated because she yeah, yeah, she can read very, very well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you just feel really bad for her. Though. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I was just felt sad for her the whole way. It was such a sad film. Like it was, it's just ending. I was like, God, that is so depressing. Like, like and it doesn't just... help that there's no music in the film whatsoever. I was going to say that. I, I can it's... literally remember like two bits where there's music in the film. Well, there's only it... music at the end, and I, yeah. I don't know if they. It's there's a ba- basically at the end after she's raped by. Is he a soldier? I can't He's remember. like a pilot or something, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he yeah he attempts to rape in the car, and she at that point basically is the first time in the film when she really does anything active. It's when yeah. she finally just goes, nope, fuck it, and fights him yeah. off, and she runs off. Like, um, so yeah, so, so sorry, saying raped is the wrong thing, but sexually harassed or be- she's like, assaulted, yeah, yeah, she's assaulted, yeah, definitely. Um, but she she kind of finds solace at the end in this kind of bar. I guess, yeah, I guess the cycle she meets continues, these people. Yeah, yeah. No, but no. like, just the expression on her face is she's, yeah, she's just. just horrifying and then just there's still at the end and you're like oh God. yeah she's just but there's a band like empty, playing in there and that's the only time you really hear person. music the other part the other part where there's music was that fucking insane christian theme park whatever the fuck oh the catacombs yeah. yeah and there's organ music but it's the you only know. time i remember music in that film is the organ music then the band at the end you know how damp smelling that place is. You can just smell it coming <laughs> off the screen, like how you know. You know if you go to like the Jorvik Viking Museum or something sure, like that, yeah, that yeah. kind of horrible smell. But like, that's like a fake smell. They just yeah, they put out. that smell in. Yeah, this would be like a real. Ugh. Yeah, that cat- catacombs and there's like um, because they go to these weird, this little like I don't know Christian theme park and Mister Dennis, the the criminal, his dad like owns it or something. And uh, they they show you on a little tour around it, and they've got all these models set up, like mannequins set up to be with tigers and stuff with, like that. Yeah, like the Christians being eaten by lions and stuff. And and I was just like, <laughs> but you what? know that existed. That's a real place. That they just yeah, it's a real to. place they shot at. I can't, I haven't didn't write down the name here, but like it's just this is what I think like Middle America is. This is like what just it's oh yeah stuff like, like that everywhere. <laughs> I, I mean, people have done like webs like series of just visiting these kind of weird places i know kevin smith did this thing called roadside attractions where he went around i think it's for like jay leno's what was his show like the the tonight show. i don't know what was his late night show. show i don't know he used to do the but, tonight um, show before yeah that was it so he did like 
roadside attractions where he'd go to these small towns and just visit all their weird like places and that's 100% one of those places you know what I mean like a like a paperclip museum or <laughs> you know those kind of weird I mean, world's largest this is like ball a, of twine or you know you, the place from um, uh, Tiger King you know that kind of yeah sure like just okay, weird yeah. kind of off the beaten track kind of places but like uh, the actor who played well I don't think he's an actor but the guy who plays Mr. Dennis's dad yeah like you know, he's not an actor; he's just a guy. They just kind of like went, say yeah. these lines or say yeah, say yeah, something yeah. to this effect. It kind of reminded me a bit like a lot of Hermione Corinne's films, especially like his early ones, like sure. Gummo or sure or like Kids and stuff. I know they're probably a bit more bit weirder. Yeah, yeah. But, this this film it, isn't they've weird. They've definitely it's got just that really... kind of. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but very free-flowing kind of just point a camera at someone and just go yeah yeah, yeah see yeah. what see what happens see what comes out of it and that structured kind of informality about the scenes and things and yeah it's it works really well and this because the way they shoot it that the camera in her face it puts you in her shoes like so well like and i would be surprised if there's any film at this time period that does that with a female lead character at all like this this film could have only been directed by a woman in the 1970s there's no absolutely no way anyone else would have shot anything that looks like this or feels like this at all even to have the same i don't know even to have the same aesthetics about or, or same feeling about what it feels like to be this character this like you know poor um lower class woman in america i don't think anyone was writing films like that or even making films like that i don't think they even really did after this like and for years even now it's hard to make films about women and it's, and yeah. then it's it's um it's absolutely amazing really and it absolutely works like it absolutely works as a film so then yeah so they're like on a road trip for a while aren't they and they kind of they go to like a like a not a shopping mall but a kind of like a what do you call like a retail area? And there's a Woolworths there, surprisingly. Which I haven't <laughs> I seen a Woolworths that. in a long time. I don't know if it's the same brand of Woolworths. That I have we no have idea, actually. Yeah. But yeah, so she goes to buy some clothes. Yeah. Uh, he steals some. He's yeah. He's breaking into cars. He t- he yells at her about her clothes. He yells at her for having pants rather than a lipstick dress. Lipstick as well, and like throwing them out. You, you like he's yeah. cascading the trousers and the lipstick on in the road and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, chucking out the lipstick and saying none of this crap when you're with me. I just oh, it felt so annoyingly real and horrible, and I just felt it was horrible so when sorry he's, for her. When she's sitting next to him and he gets yeah. to come close to him and he starts yeah. like touching her up and you're like, oh man, oh, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> But like it, it, it feels like you know she's such a depressed person. She has such low self esteem. But like every man she meets, like basically adds to it. Like every every man she meets basically contributes to her self low self esteem. She they confirm it for her. You know they tell her she's stupid. She tell her that she's ugly. You know tell her that she's wearing the wrong clothes. Like hits her. You know just uses her and tries to abandon her in a in a motel room. It, like that's just constantly just confirming to her how useless she is and i just was like i feel so bad for this character it's so bad and i know not the coal picker leave and not the coal picker then she should have just hung out with a coal picker all the time <laughs> yeah, and just gone the fishing. <laughs> but even like her sister's um brother-in-law is like the, the first shot of the film is her waking up on the sofa and yeah. her brother-in-law's mad at her because she's there and like, just just leave her alone. Let her sleep on the sofa. Like, at least let her have that. 
Like, I love how the first, like, what, 20 minutes of the film, she's just in a curlers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So when yeah, she's yeah. trying to get the money off the guy, the coal picker, and then she goes to the... Um, well, she gets courts. robbed at the cinema, doesn't she? Yeah, she doesn't have the curls in then, though, does she? Cause doesn't she? That, okay. uh, this is what I found funny, though. After she has sex with that guy from the bar, and she has the curlers in, she has no curls. <laughs> like, anyway. Yeah, because she buys some curlers later and he chucks them out of the car, doesn't she? No, no curlers. Yeah. None of that crap. I hated Mr. Dennis so much. Yeah. So, um, just to, so Mr. Dennis in this film, Higgins, the, the actor, when played him, was 50 years old when he played this character. Uh, Barbara Loden was 38 when she made this. So that's like a sizable age gap, 12 years. It I felt so. older to me on screen, though. Like, she felt younger, he felt older to me. Yeah, I agree with that, I agree with that. And I don't know if that was just the actors. But I think it is interesting to, to point out, and this might be conspiracy theories, uh, this film, she does describe as semi-autobiographical. It, she grew up in, I think, um, South Carolina, I think. No, yeah, because I think Ca- it was North meant Carolina. to be shot in the South originally. Yeah, it was, yeah, they, so she grew up in North Carolina. They couldn't afford it, so they went... But they couldn't, they shot North. it in Pennsylvania instead. But it's, you know, it's this, like, it, she... Quitting out know, the coal mining and areas and stuff. Um, her husband at this time was Eli Kazden. Kazen, twenty um, years older than her, or twenty-three like years that. older than her. Yeah, who at this time they were estranged. Basically, they were getting they were um and well they were going through troubles at this time. By the time she died, they were estranged. They weren't divorced, but they were no longer a couple. Uh, who this was his her second husband as well, and I just wondered if those when she says it's semi-autobiographical i was just like is right, guy. this guy being kazan in this film like and so i, I did look it well, up and they say you are your art and you, yeah you know, exactly you kind of, it kind of bleeds out it kind of bleeds i was like into what are they making you know higgins a bit older to play more that gauge gap up like well, she, she might have wanted like um it's like we were talking about the matrix you know look how yeah, without them point, knowing yeah. they were writing they were writing that those elements in elements into that and like you know probably the same with this but uh, so i, I mean? looked it up and um kazam was actually quite a piece of shit when he talked about her i probably oh, really? shouldn't say that so so strongly but uh he was quite um yeah. in his autobiography he kind of said that he he's he he desired to control her and had an inability to control her and i was like well that's because quite clear that Barbara Loden was not that type of character like and yeah. and uh she was like he had this uh she wrote about Loden she he goes with a mix of affection and patronization emphasizing her sexuality and her backcountry feistiness and it's such a condescending way to talk about someone mm. just kind of saying that she just she depended on her sex appeal to get ahead um and nothing else and I'm like that's you. You saw. You're seeing her the same way, like the Hollywood producers saw her. That wouldn't let her make films. To and, be fair, or do though, mate, he is. Way, he is one of those guys. That, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. who he is. So like, I did feel like I wonder if there was certain elements of her relationship with him was actually feeding into this film. That might be complete blasphemous and liable. I don't want to be <laughs> want to be like liable to that. But I just had that bit of feeling towards it. Um, what was I going to say? So yeah, they um. They kind of pick out a bank that they're going to rob, don't they? Yeah. And they find they find out who the bank manager is. Yeah. And they they kind of well, first of all, he tells her what they're going to do, and she's mm-hmm. like, "I don't want any part of it," and she's throwing up and stuff like that. And then he's yeah, like, so nervous she's throwing up. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they go to the house. Uh, they have this fake bomb made. That bomb should... is the most hilarious thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, it looks fake. It's like a battery connected to a block of plasticine or something. Yeah, there's like three tubes that are meant to be dynamite with some wires coming out of them attached to like a 9-volt battery and attached to like a like a kind of clock that you'd have on the side of the bed or something and it's and it's all in a little kind of rucksack a little kind of handbag thing <laughs> and uh, and then they, they they leave it on the the lap of the wife and the, his daughters yeah and they say it's going to go off in like an hour and a half yeah and then they take the bank manager with so mr dennis takes the bank manager with him in a car and then yeah. um Wanda follows them in her car. I tell you what I like though in this whole scene when they're following, just all the different kinds of cars. So you've got fifties, yeah, sixties, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the kind of so you've got all the Cadillacs, and then you've kind of got into the more kind of what do you call them? Those kind of like boxy kind of like the car from um, Vacation. Sure, like the a, um, uh, like the oh. saloon cars, like the family saloon things. Yeah, and it kind of goes into that kind of thing. Yeah, like thinking those cars were disgusting. Cadillacs are <laughs> awesome, but like. But it's true. If um, if someone now said we're going to make a film set in 1970, every every car would be a 1970s film. Um, yeah, car, that's, sorry. And it's that's the that's the key. You've got to have like it's a percentage. You've got to have like yeah. say twenty percent new, and then the rest are from other decades because uh, you know like my car is like about I don't know at this point twelve years old. <laughs> sure, cars. Yeah, know. not everything just changes when it hits 1970 to be from 1970. Yeah. Like, I but just like the texture the... of this film. That's what I like. I liked a lot of the scenery as they're driving yeah, around yeah. this scene and like the locations and stuff like that. It real put in a real sense of time and space, and I, I thought it was it was really well done. And I just like the shooting style. It kind of has that kind of Gonzo kind of, mm. but it's free captures, wielding. Even though it's sixteen millimeter, it captures a certain kind of like beauty to it all as well. You got it captures the kind of sunlight in all the kind of landscapes yeah, yeah, yeah. and things and it captures the change of colors in fact i think the only time she really smiles in this film is actually right in the middle when she's just staring out the window when they're driving yeah, she's around. just driving yeah following yeah. them yeah because it's not she's not living in a coal mine anymore <laughs> but um, this plan this is the worst plan anyone's ever had <laughs> so to rob a bank i was so like it's mr dennis is a prick i'm glad he's a prick like but um yeah so he she has to follow him to the bank um, and she gets caught in traffic and then gets lost. Uh, she decides to try and do a U-turn at a, a cross-section, and the traffic cop's like, what the fuck are you doing, and pulls her over. <laughs> and and asks for her ID and stuff, but it's yeah. got stolen earlier on. In she the doesn't film, have like. any idea. Yeah. yeah, so she's stuck talking to this cop. Meanwhile, Mr. Dennis just dis- decides to go ahead and rob the bank on his own without her there. Uh, which involves him basically walking into the bank early and asking them to open the vault up, which triggers the alarm, saying well, it's not meant to be open yet. I so... love the look of that vault, though. It looks awesome. I love those. It's like when we watched Quick Change as well the other day, just those kind of old-fashioned, like... Like, the fact that the vault is so visible to the public, it's just... Uh, that's true. It's just there in front of, like, what the cashier think... desk. What do you think bank vaults look like nowadays? Do you think they still do they have, even like, have? Do they even exist really? Like they're probably there like, must be you know. some sort of a vault, but I can't imagine it's a big wheel like that—a big round wheel thing. It can't be, can it? If anyone works in a bank, tell me what the bank vault's like. Well, I was trying to. Think. I watched uh, the town a few weeks ago, and I think that had a, a sizable vault in it. But again, that's ten-year-old film now. 
So I don't know. And that's America. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I like to think it's just a big round door with a big wheel. But when he comes out of the vault, there's just police waiting for him. Everywhere. Everywhere. Like, and she's not even there yet as well. So he would have still been waiting around even if the police hadn't got there. I love the fact that she obviously had trouble parking because when like, uh, like the police storm the bank and shoot him dead, basically. But it cuts to outside and she's running down the street trying to get there. And it's like, I love the fact that her she just parked up the street like they were just going to walk, you know, over the road to where she'd parked or something. Um, and then, then that's that wonderful shot where you see her reacting to everything that's going on. Just, you know, a single oh, shot on her face. When she's been held back by the yeah. police, you mean? Yeah, it's yeah, great. yeah. And uh, you see, like, everything in that kind of expression of her. You see that, that she's... There's panic, um, sadness, that look that she's taking on failure. Like, she knows she's failed on this and she's taken that hard. Like, she's taken herself. There's a look of release to her because she knows this is over. But it's sadness because, like, um, this was going to be a release from her life, an escape from her life. Even if it was with this horrible man, it was still going to be, like, a, a, some something else to do. She would have some money and escape. Something, well, I guess it's a bit of an excitement as well, I guess. I don't I know. guess, yeah, like it you could get everything in that way she kind of does that shot and the way she reacts. Well it's it, it's like when they when it. they storm into the house of the bank manager. Cause she, basically the bank manager overpowers Mr. Dennis. Yeah. And kinda. she's she saves him pretty much, doesn't she? She kind of like, Oh yeah, that little struggle. Yeah, 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 yeah. She yeah. then she's got the gun and kind of She aims the gun on him, yeah. To be honest, though, the the bank manager, like when they're driving in the car, though, with the bank manager, and Mr. Dennis, the bank manager's just—you'd think you'd be a bit more, um, what the fuck are you doing? Kind of attitude, but he's—he seems very blasé or casual I about think, it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, he was never going to get anything from the bank, and if and I, I, I hope he would notice that that isn't a real bomb. <laughs> That he left his wife and kids with. I don't know. Maybe it could fool you, but uh, just such a terrible plan. It's awful. It's the worst. But anyway, film she goes. She goes to a diner out. afterwards, doesn't she? Oh yeah, that's where she gets yeah the M and gets her drunk. Then like yeah. yeah yeah. And they listen. She's watching the news, and it's basically telling showing showing the dead body of Mister Dennis on the floor, yeah. telling that the bomb wasn't a real bomb. Yeah, and. They they don't suspect her. She's got no role in this. You know, she's not linked. Ah, well, anything, there was an alternative ending where the police find her there and take her. Oh right, but, okay. But she thought that it was um, unreal. Well, she thought it was a bit unrealistic or cliche. So they changed it to the ending that we now see, where she comes out of the woods. This ending is devastating. This ending destroyed me. Like it's it's such a good ending for this film because it's not about the bank robbery it's not about her crimes it's just about the cycle of the life she lives in and all this film ends with basically is her finding this bar ending up surrounded by men buying her drinks again loads of people laughing and having fun and she just looks mortified yeah like you know they're giving her cigarettes and trying to play with her and she's just absolutely out of body experience and it just kind of just focuses on her as as she sits there kind of knowing that well she, she tried to break this cycle but she hasn't She's just right back here, and it's gonna keep going. And it's just—it yeah. just felt haunting to me. Like it just felt so, so amazing, like just so terrible. Yeah, just so terrible. 
But yeah, I thought I thought it was a fantastic. I thought well, I thought it was a really good film. I, I don't know if I'll jump to watch it again anytime soon because it no. it literally bummed me out to watch it. But I <laughs> thought it was. I think it's I so. Thought it was. I I it, as a first film that someone wrote, directed, acted in. It shows so much promise. It, it's very it's, confident, isn't it? It's yeah. very. It is like very, yeah, in its language it's, and its shot. It's but it's so like confident. I said earlier, it's very, it's very amateurish, but it's not. It's it's yeah. so amateurish that it's confident in. It, she I had a know, vision, definitely. She knew what she was doing, and so, she yeah, she, she had a confidence in the way that she was going to show that on screen. She knew her story. This was, you know, she was showing what she knew about herself as a woman and showing that on screen, which I would say is incredibly unique in in this time period. But, and well, I thought she was great in the scene when um, they're in the motel. Which, be- first of all, that bed they have sex in looks so uncomfortable. The beds, the beds in this film made me sad. Yes, it made me so sad. <laughs> they, they but, the pillows look so flat, and there was never sheets on the fucking mattress. They were all lying yeah. on the, and I just, felt, I just hated. It felt so uncomfortable and itchy. Well, I think that's probably that's probably intentional. I oh yeah, so. yeah. I don't think it's accidental, but, um, unless it's just what the seventies he... was like. I don't know. But when he gets it to get them the McDonald's and he's like, no, no onions. I don't want any of that muck or whatever he calls it. Oh, I love when she's like, I like onions. Like, and, yeah, that's what like I'm saying. Onions. He yeah. she, he comes back and he slaps her and he's like, oh, you piece of shit. That slap. And um, and then she she literally instead of just getting rid of the onions, she just takes everything off and just hands him <laughs> a piece of bread with uh, just some meat in between. But yeah, like you said, that shot where she's just sitting on the radiator and she's just, well, I like onions. Yeah, well, I like onions. I know <laughs> what you don't like about onions. Like, and there's so many scenes when she's talking, like she's trying to connect to him, and he's just a fucking gravestone of a human. So like when she's eating the spaghetti, and she's yeah, like, yeah, 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 I love got, that scene. She's asking so much. if he wants that last bit of bread. Yeah, and yeah. Then she's like, um, she's like, that's, that's my favorite part. part. That's the best part. Yeah, that that was so good, and it felt so natural. I, I doubt it was written. That felt like her just playing that scene up and him having nothing to contribute basically yeah and he's saying wipe your mouth you got it all around your face oh, she God. had not one speck no <laughs> of absolute just that is domestic abuse that's horrible yeah. i hated it like oh i can't believe and the thing is what we keep saying i cannot believe she didn't instantly get funding to make another film after this i can't believe that she kind of it took her eight years well, to start working i can on a, kind on of film. understand knowing what the Hollywood system was like back then. I can understand well, yeah. why they did. I mean, it's just not unjust, fair. Is what unjustly, I'm she didn't get it. She should yeah, have, yeah, yeah. you know. And her, you know, she, she should actually... have been up there with the Vim Vendors and yep. all those kind of filmmakers yeah, yeah. of that era. Absolutely. And um, uh, f- spoilers: a film director we'll cover later on as well, Elaine May, who's a, a, a prominent seventies film, a female film director. She should have been in that in that kind of sphere and talked about it in that way. Like it should be, it, she really had. She seemed to have that talent to me. Unfortunately, obviously, she she got sick as well. But she had eight years between this film and and when she got sick to make something. And it's it's just baffling to me that she couldn't get that done. It's not her fault. Absolutely not her fault. Yeah. Um. But she was working. I thought it was interesting when she got sick. She was working on an adaptation of the Kate Coplin novel, The Awakening. Which is a, okay. it's a American novel. It's widely seen as a landmark of early feminism in American literature. So she clearly was quite passionate about this, and quite passionate about bringing it forward. And I would have loved to see what she would have done with that. I would have absolutely loved it. Yeah, 
Uh, it's just a shame we were robbed of more films from her, I think. Yeah, and, uh, it really is. Yeah. But I'm so glad I watched this. I yeah, really same. Am. I thought it was really good. I felt like I actually um, learned something, and I've learned about a person I didn't really know anything about as well. Yeah, same. I mean, I'd never heard of her until you, no. you know, you put it on the list, and so I did a little bit of research about her. But, but yeah, what she, um, in her own words, what she did say as well, she goes, um, when I made Wonder, I didn't really know anything about consciousness raising or women's liberation. That had just died when this film was finished. The picture was not about women's liberation. It was really about the oppression of people. Sorry, oppression of women, of people. Being a woman in, in, unexplained, in unexplored territory. And we're pioneers of a sort, discovering what it means to be a woman. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. That and that's feminism. That's feminism filmmaking. Like that's and she did this in 1970, and people are still trying to do this like decades later. It should 100 percent like you know when I was at film school. Well, I mean I did animation, but um, mm. but you still have a lot of the same lessons that you would have in a normal film school because you know you are a filmmaker. You're not animator is just is a skill, but it's yeah. also you are making Type of films. So. Yeah. But like you know they didn't really teach anything like hardly anything about female filmmakers or animators mm-hmm. and i think that's something that needs to change or hopefully is changing you know like hopefully. um brandon who i who's going to be on this show soon yeah, hopefully yeah. um he's a he's a uh a film tutor and so i introduced him to this film oh cool and uh and he's i think he's gonna you know he's saying people should make more of a point of her and i think yeah. he's gonna probably take it forward and kind of talk about it a bit more in his lectures and stuff like that so that'd be great because it's it's such a especially at film school level where this is a you know i don't want to sound disparaging this is a film school level film really oh yeah because it's it's not expensive it's one camera one setup and stuff like um and you could could probably tell they probably only had like one take and it's like you know what they got is what they got. What they Do you got, know what I mean? and like, a lot of it was probably the way we made films. We walked into like establishments and gone, "Can we use that booth over there for two hours, yeah, please?" Yeah. Like, you know, a hundred grand is a lot of money to some people, but for film, yeah. it's nothing. You know, nothing. film stock together, costs yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, and you know, you probably have enough to to make like a two hour film. You probably have enough for like one or two takes at most, because then you've got not only do you have to buy the film, you have to then have it developed. You know so that you can actually start editing it and apparently they edited it at her home apparently oh right wow and I think I got another quote about this which I really liked as well this is not about her this is about her not from her um, but like she was a person like ahead of her time um, in a way that like, her troubles in Hollywood seemed to mainly be about the fact that men kept trying to control her but and she simply had an opinion and men didn't like that at the time uh, she kind of with this film she challenges industry stereotypes you know i think her even her husband assumes that she's just another beautiful blonde hollywood mm. rather than this film shows she's actually was like kind of restless pioneering film artist and it's it's and we should celebrate her basically is what i'm trying to say and we should we should people more people should see this and talk about her really there you go this is from wikipedia uh, Loden said the film was semi-autobiographical and that she was inspired to write it after reading a newspaper report that a woman had, hi- had had thanked a judge after he sentenced her to 20 years in prison for participating in a bank robbery. Her husband, oh. Aliyah Kazan, 
uh, claimed to have written the initial script and then Loden rewrote it uh, many times and it became hers. According to Loden, the character of Wandam was created out of herself. In the 1971 interview, she said, it was sort of based on my own personality, a sort of passive wandering around, passing from one person to another, no direction. I spent many of my years of my life that way and I felt that, well, I think that a lot of people are that way, not just women, but men too, that they don't know they exist. In crafting the relationship between Wanda and Norman, Loden avoided uh, integrating any legitimate romance between the characters she felt mm. as unrealistic. Wanda's complete submissiveness... Submissive, oh, submissiveness, I can't pronounce that. <laughs> Norman was also partly inspired by a non-fiction book Loden had read about the upbringing of several prostitutes, one of whom recounted finding joy in the foster mother's severe out outbearingness as she was the first person to have ever told her what to do she appreciated it even though the woman was mean so i guess yeah some people just want to be told what to do because they don't if you're that you know you don't know what you're doing like if someone's telling you do this do that no matter how they treat you you kind of will do it again she yeah i've i've learn about a new person and i have a massive amount of respect for her and i yeah, think i'm gonna be one massively. of these i'm gonna be keep talking to her at people who don't care about me <laughs> like <laughs> listen to me talk about barbara loden like, can you just watch this film it's crazy you know she won the venice film festival is that the same festival the joker won <laughs> yeah, i guess so different well that won like the fucking golden lion didn't it but like she won best foreign at the venice film festival the only american film to be picked for it it's just that's on a debut film when she was 38 it's immense like yeah well done what would you give it oh did did you not think at some point she reminded me of Kirsten Dunst in like Magnolia and stuff like that I don't know why I can see that I I kept on trying to think who she reminded me of actually there was something but maybe it was that I'd like to see her like she was in um, uh, Splendour in the Grass and Wild River in the 60s and I'd like to try and see her as an actress in those more kind of glamoury kind of 60s films rather than rather than this kind of more you know dirty 70s hollywood um, right just because just because i'm interested more than anything else like but um yeah ratings i, I don't know 4.55 it's right it's right up there like, yeah i'd give it a four yeah. four and a half i think but again i i'm not going to jump to watch it that's, again yeah i think that's the but, only that's why it's 4.5 for me because i'm not going to put um, it on again <laughs> Like in any time but series. But no, I thought it was great, you know. But yeah, quite a start to our yeah. series, really. I think. Right. Yeah, good, good start. And yeah, as I say, this was this would be the most obscure film we cover this series, but it's absolutely worth watching. Please, if if you can seek it out. Like. Yeah, it's not easily available to download off torrent sites. Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you know how. Okay, so uh, what are we going to do next week then, Liam? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I do know. Um, we are going to be looking at this psychological thriller by Sam Peckinpah, uh, Straw Dogs, starring awesome. uh, Dustin Hoffman, a film that I know very little about apart from the poster and yeah. its, its reputation. But uh, It got remade, didn't it, fairly recently? It with, did, didn't it? With Sam it, Rockwell in it? No, am I making that up? James Marston's in James it. James Marston, sorry, that's yeah. it. In 2011, I never watched that remake. I didn't no. even go near it. I think it was quite a controversial film at the time, if I remember. That's oh, my, yeah, that's, definitely. Yeah. That's what I know about it, that it was quite controversial. So, And we'll see. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a film that has been copied a lot as well. Like a lot of home invasion films always reference Straw Dogs, don't they? It's like a. Well, I didn't know it was a home invasion film, he just said. So. I'm pretty sure it is. I might be look like a right idiot next week then. If it's not. <laughs> I'm pretty it's sure a, it is. It's a road movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks for anyone who's tuned in. Tuned in. <laughs> that works. Does it? Do you have to yeah. turn it on your dial on your AM FM radio? Yeah, we're on, um, I don't know, 54.69. 69. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Um, don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We are Adjust Your Track, and that's Adjust Your with the YR, not a your. We're also on um, Instagram. You just look for at Better Feeling Films, and you'll find my film exploits and stuff about this podcast on there as well. And remember, if the picture's bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. <laughs>